This is episode number 46 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. You can catch new episodes every Monday morning at bearded.marketers.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio as well. You call us 904-270-9603. If you got any requests, things you want us to talk about on the podcast, we also do videos on the website at thebeardedmarketers.com. If you would like us to cover something in video format, we'll be more than happy to. So hit us up with any suggestions you may have. You can also hit us up on Twitter. Before we get started on the topics that we're going to run down for the night, we talk about what we're going to drink to get into the mood, to or bring you the issues. Already drank in my case. <laughs> right, exactly. So, Corey, my man, what are you drinking tonight? Tonight... As promised in our last episode, mixing it up, I made a Norfolk, which recipe is equal parts vodka, cognac, dry vermouth, topping it off with a little bit of lime and ginger beer. It is actually quite tasty. The vermouth, I was a little bit worried of because that's... Because dry vermouth is is disgusting. (laughs) But it is actually pretty good. Norfolk. So check it out. What about you? Is that shaken or stirred? It is shaken. I'm shaken, man. Of course, like any man's drink. But you, not tonight. How about oh, yourself? Damn, that's right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm drinking an old fashioned, but that is a man's drink. Oh, but it is stirred. Sure. Yeah, I stir it at least. Yeah. I don't know how it's supposed to be done. Helps the beard grow. Yeah. I do a little bit of a twist on the classic old fashioned. I go with Buffalo Trace bourbon, mm. um, two huge shots of that. I do uh, a custom mix of bitters. I got some shots. I got some blood orange bitters. I'm probably going to tweet out a picture of Rob making this concoction with his bitters. Yeah, absolutely. I can't give out the full recipe on the air. It's top secret. But suffice to say, it is delicious. Buffalo Trace is the best bourbon for an old-fashioned. I highly recommend it. All right, let's get right down into it. What are we doing for tonight? All right, kicking off episode number 46, we're going to be talking about Apple and their foray into the mobile payments world. Going on to testimonials, getting into some tactics. And it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't talk about our favorite friends, Google. And we're going to name a segment Google Corner, which is going to be current happenings coming out of our favorite friends in Mountain View. Lastly, wrapping it up, some industry trends that we're noticing using some of the information that Moz has published recently that some of you should probably take note in and how you're developing your 2014 marketing plan. How do you compare to what everyone else is doing in the industry? So starting things off, Apple has announced recently that they are going to throw their hat in the ring for mobile payments, and they have announced that they're going to start pursuing and building out efforts to get into the mobile payment space. And it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. I mean, Apple has a huge number one user base. You know, we have a lot of people that are already in the mobile payment field. We got PayPal, we got Squared. I know Visa's pushing really hard with their Visa Me or something like that. Um, a lot of the banks have their own so, systems that they're right. pushing. So when like you them. say mobile payments, what exactly are we meaning? Are we meaning I'm sending a payment to you with my phone or I'm buying things on websites with my phone? What exactly are we talking about when we, we talk about mobile payments? Because I know, obviously, Apple users, there are tons of them with iTunes accounts linked to credit cards. So it seemed like an obvious step for Apple to then open that interface up to sending payments to other people and or slash companies or whatever that is. Right. So with Apple, there's a couple of things that are speculated. So as you talked about beaming payments, that typically has been done through NFCs. Apple, though, has resisted implementing those in their phones um, as opposed to Android devices, which have had those. And I believe some of the 
Windows, Nokia, some of the more world phones mm-hmm. have used this technology for a long time. In fact, I was watching something the other day of people in Japan going through their subway system and a lot of people actually pay with their cell phones for their ticket and it's like an automated system. You just put your cell phone on a pad, deducts automatically from your account. There's no real ticketing system like we're maybe accustomed to here. So there was a lot of speculation. Is Apple going to go down that road even though they've been resistant to that? And apparently Apple has gone in a different direction and invested in some other technologies that are going to arrive at the same results but not use those type of protocols as in typical apple fashion right they have to have their own (laughs) lockdown system that no one else is using right um but what will be interesting for the apple space is they already have a lot of payment information with itunes store Mm -hmm. and all those types of things so i don't think integration is going to be that tough but we will have to see kind of how they essentially create and complete transactions if they don't use nfc to essentially make this really automatic for like merchants like i go into starbucks i want to pay for this how's that going to work i think we're going to have to wait and see what apple has to offer there but one thing that apple has done which will put a notch in their belt on the security side of thing is that newest feature that they have implemented in their newer phones which will actually read your fingerprint right I think that one of the benefits that they're going to be able to pitch to people, especially given the more recent security breaches like at Target and things like that, is yes, there is PayPal. Yes, there is Squared. But we're one of the only ones that can really ensure your security and keeping your information safe, which to a lot of people I think is going to be really important. Well, that's a huge point, especially when you start talking about, okay, all of my payment information is going to be on my phone. Mm Mm-hmm. I know females especially love to leave their phone anywhere, everywhere. They can't ever seem to keep it in their in their hands. So, mm-hmm. you know, losing your phone could then become a serious sure. problem, not just because you lost your $1,000 iPhone, but now it, because they drained your bank account connected to it. I don't know if you've actually ever used the fingerprint thing on the new iPhone 5S. I have not. I've seen people use it, though, and it seems to work pretty flawlessly. I mean, mm-hmm. you just hit that button and it immediately unlocks your phone and it knows what you're doing. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I I know you mentioned in the beginning that, you know, there's things out there like Squared and and PayPal and all of these things that basically force merchants to have special dongles on their phones that can then swipe credit cards. So basically, this is a reversal of that, right? So now merchants don't need to have special hardware. They could probably just use a phone or tablet. And now customers who are so used to buying things via iTunes, be it, you know, shows, movies, games, in-app purchases, all that sort of stuff, will be so used to buying things with that method. It'd be interesting to see how that integrates, but also how, like what kind of marketing will be available to those merchants at the same time. So from a website standpoint, it'll be interesting to see what sort of integrations Apple allows to gain access to their mobile payment systems. Is that going to transmit you to a third party that you need to complete your transaction Mm -hmm. then you get put back onto the site or or how that's going to work maybe it's just an apple login and it completes through its own security systems but i think that this presents an interesting case for website owners because i think and just business owners in general because again apple has such a huge user base and like you said the technology shift has been Now you might not need those extra technology pieces like Squared and some of the other providers out there. And you have a user base that's already used to using that ecosystem to pay for things. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Apple takes mobile payments and maybe shakes up the uh, industry where well, we have seen kind of other people. Yeah. And I think one last so. thing before we sort of move on to the next topic is that I think that what we're seeing is a trend. I mean, we've seen this over the past few years, log in with Facebook, log in with Google Plus, all of these things, which has essentially removed the necessity of having signup forms and mm-hmm. those kinds of paths on your websites. I think if Apple gets into this game, now we've removed the necessity of payment paths on your website. Mm. And so you don't need user sign-up paths. You don't need payment paths anymore. Now what is there left? Your product. Does your marketing need to get better because there are no more gains to be had on those ends? You can't make your website easier to use in those respects. That's done. Everyone knows how to use that. So now you need to make a better product marketing overall experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, it removes maybe some of the competitive advantage that you Mm -hmm. might have over your competitors. I mean, some people might shop with certain companies just because of how easy some of their processes are, like storing credit cards or already have my Amazon account. So adding to a cart and checking out is really seamless. Now are you removing some of that competitive edge? So like you said, the front end of the experience and your marketing becomes really paramount because you're, again, you're whittling down all those things where maybe you could cheat your way through and get a leg up on your competitors where maybe it's really going to be the cream of the crop that really reaps the benefits and might distance you from your competitors even more. Speaking of stepping up your marketing, the next segment, we're going to be talking about testimonials, Uh, testimonials on your landing pages, your marketing pages, your sales, your pricing pages. I don't know, just all of your pages in general. Just this is more like theoretical. I don't have stats. I don't have figures. I don't have necessarily examples to talk about. But I just want to talk about a discussion about testimonials. How have you used them in the past? How do you think they're most effective? What kind of categories and niches are they are effective in? Which ones are they ineffective in? What sort of sparked this was I was reading a blog post on conversionxl.com where he was, you know, running through a bunch of examples of testimonials on websites and and how to make them more effective. And a lot of the examples he gave were good in a sense, but I think that he missed a lot of points because that kind of stuff doesn't work for every category. So for example, say I'm buying, I don't know, some piece of clothing, right? I don't necessarily care about testimonials, at least not nearly as much as I would if I were buying a TV. Some things that you buy online are based purely on looks and not necessarily how other people are using them. So I don't care what other people have to say about it. I can see everything I need in the product image. You might care more about some of the attributes, like is this a slim fit and material and things like that. Yeah. And and to me, it doesn't matter that everyone else says it fits weird or whatever, whatever. I mean, everyone's different. So I think that that may be an example where testimonials don't really matter. I know I don't ever look at reviews on clothing. No, on, I don't on websites. That's not even something that crosses my mind. So that was one example I, that sort of popped into my head. I was, I was reading through there. The other one that I remember noticing was he was really talking up celebrity endorsements as testimonials. And that was another one that to me, I personally did not care about for most products that I could think of. And I could only really think of one or two things where I really cared. And I wouldn't even say that it was a celebrity endorsement as much as a respected person in the industry. For example, someone had a testimonial for a marketing product and it was from a Matt Cutts or a Rand Fishkin or somebody like that. Sure. Speaking really highly of the product, that would matter to me. And I guess in a way those are sort of celebrities in the internet marketing industry. But I think what makes those testimonials effective is not that they're well known. It's that what is known of them. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if that makes sense. Um, 
So I think that, you know, when you start talking about testimonials, everyone sort of goes to these celebrities. Let's include pictures. Testimonials are so important. I don't think that it applies to a lot of niches. I don't know. Have you run any tests recently I uh, with testimonials and, and found any sort of results that are interesting? What I've found in some of the more recent testing is one of the partners works in a really hyper-competitive consumer goods space. What we found is there is a, and I think a lot of people actually ignore this, there's a tipping point with how many testimonials that, what we found at least in our testing, is there's a tipping point with how many testimonials that you're using on a page and the conversion rate increases that you were able to gain from it. Mm-hmm. So what we found is at a certain point, you just lose the effect of any benefits that you get with testimonials and it starts degrading the page. We did also find that there was a measurable difference once we started including pictures as well. Another thing that we also found in following up with some of our test participants and just looking through the data is people wanting to see testimonial Especially when you start using images and other information like location, people want to see things that are relevant to them, not only in just where they might be located, but things like age and sex and things like that become important and become things that people notice. I think a lot of it boils down to people wanting that social reinforcement of their decision, whether that's to purchase or not, but also that this product or service or whatever I'm looking at is actually relevant to me. And also people, peers, I guess we could say, in a similar situation found this product or service beneficial. But as we mentioned in the past, that can kind of come to a a breaking point where I feel like a lot of people rely very heavily on testimonials, but Mm -hmm. they don't do a good job of, like you mentioned in your clothing example, emphasizing again why I should care about this product and what makes it so good or the service or you as a company. They think that testimonials are just enough that push people over the edge when you haven't really done a good job of presenting a value proposition or why I should even care. And like you mentioned, for some products, I don't really care about testimonials. They're just kind of added noise on a page and it's not really relevant to my purchase decision. And what I would also say, and I don't really have any test data to back this up, but sometimes providing testimonials also can increase the likelihood that someone finds one thing wrong with your product that's enough to make them leave. Like I can think multiple times personally shopping on Amazon, reading through all these nice reviews. I come across one negative one, which might have just been someone with a defective product or just didn't know how to use something. And I read like one little thing in that testimonial that's enough to make me second guess my purchase Mm -hmm. and it's enough to throw me off. So I would also say that Testimonials can be nice, but there's also a risk to including kind of outside conversations into a page and can potentially increase the likelihood that someone finds something. I don't know what would be the best word to describe that that makes them second guess choosing you as a provider or or buying a product. I mean, that's the way I would put it. I know sort of sidestepping here before we move on to the next topic. I know guessing here 10 15 episodes ago roughly i think would be my guess i don't know we've done i don't know how many of these 40 (laughs) something tough to keep track i know we were talking about social networking and the social influencing and how people perceive their network approving other products and leaving reviews for other products in which cases is that a good thing in which case is that Mm -hmm. a bad thing I know we covered things like for certain types of products, I don't want my friends or other people to have had it or reviewed it or like it. 
I want to be different. For certain types of things, I want that celebrity endorsement for other types of things. So I think it matters a lot by the product category. And if you are really more interested in some of that social networking stuff, take a scroll back in the iTunes category and see if you well, can yeah, find Well, yeah, I think that we need to rethink the value of testimonials. I think it's a go-to to a lot of people, but I don't know if that's really the best case scenario in a lot of products. And I think that you can get a testimonial and endorsements through other means. So going again, back to your clothing example, probably a lot of females are familiar with the site, but some of the males should check out rentherunway.com. And so it's a clothing site where you can rent designer dresses, because that's what I like to do on Tuesday nights. <laughs> and um, Hamburgers Mary's. Right. Can rent these dresses for a pretty affordable price where you might not want to throw down such a vast amount of money on an outfit. And one of the things that they do well, which I would put in a similar category as testimonials, is they allow and encourage females to upload pictures of themselves wearing these dresses out in their social settings. And so if you look at some of these dresses, there'll be 20 images of females looking really nice because they're going to make sure they're going to pick a good picture of themselves wearing these dresses. And I think that rethinking how we present a testimonial type feel for some of our products might lend itself to a better social reinforcement than just some text with a picture of someone's thoughts on a product. Check that out, rentthrunway.com. Moving right along, like I mentioned, it would not be an episode if we didn't talk about G-O-O-G-L-E, Google, what is happening over in Mountain View. Quite a few things as of late. I think it'll be interesting to see where this company goes in a couple of years, but some of the more recent things that we've heard come from the mountain has been definitely some interesting acquisitions. We saw that they acquired Boston Dynamics. If you're not familiar with that company, I definitely suggest you look at some of their YouTube videos. They specialize in robotics and they have some crazy stuff like their robotic dog. Robots that run. Animals that run. Robotic animals that run. It's basically Skynet. (laughs) (laughs) But they've also gone into the artificial intelligence space. They acquired a company called DeepMind, who is really well known at developing AI and predictive patterns in human behavior. Um, And there's a lot of speculations between some of those acquisitions, how they might play into one another, how that might be going into the direction of Google's self-driving car. I think that DeepMind in particular has a lot potentially applicable to some of Google's marketing products. If they can get better at predicting, I mean, we already give search engines a ton of information on us, but if they can get even smarter at predicting our behaviors, especially with their Google Now product and some of the other services that they've just been continuing to develop, I think that what is going to be available for us as marketers in the next couple of years could be quite interesting on predictive basis on getting in front of people. I mean, especially with how big Google portfolio is. I mean, they have YouTube, they have all these ad networks. I mean, their reach is just getting wider and wider and there's becoming less spaces on the internet where there's not going to be a touch point that mm-hmm. Google has some sort of say in, especially with how Android's been growing and some of these other just avenues. It'll be interesting to see how some of these other interesting acquisitions will play out over time. I know another interesting one was Nest. So that's an interesting self-learning thermostat and home automation tool. And there's a lot of speculation that Google might be going into the home automation space and getting more and more into your home. Now we got thermostats. Now we're probably going to be pushing Android integrations. Google can run your whole house. They're taking over your life. 
Um, right. Yeah, that's going to be insane. It, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how the population reacts to that. Google being such a strong search engine and something that us as marketers have to pay so much attention to, there is the deep philosophical question. Do they potentially get so big that they become uncool or people begin to distrust them or the big boys on the block and no one wants to use them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that Walmart has other problems going on that cause people to hate them, but they kind of have that syndrome. It's like, Oh, it's the big Walmart. I don't want to use them. I want to go local or using other people. Will Google start to suffer with the key thing that Google has that helps prevent that sort of thing from happening is the fact that they're just connected to so many things. I, for one, enjoy using every single Google product, having them all connected. I enjoy that, all of that sort of feel. You have it even more because you use Android. If they're now connected to my house (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. and all that other stuff, I think that that would be really cool. Even if they were the big old company, just that, that ease of use and all that connectivity, I think. So you're saying like, as long as they execute well, maybe they can avoid that. I could, I could turn the other way. You know, (laughs) if you're selling all my information to other people, it's all right. As long as it's cool and useful. Well, one of the last things we wanted to talk about coming from Google was there's actually been a big change in AdSense. So AdSense is their product where Google allows you to syndicate ads on your website for their AdWords product. So you can own a website, maybe it's a blog, maybe it's just a general website. I know even like bestbuy.com has AdSense Mm -hmm. on their site. But anyways, what Google is now allowing you to do is create your own custom advertising deals within AdSense. As it used to work in the past, is people would essentially decide if they wanted to run ads on your site, and Google would kind of dictate the terms of how much that's going to cost based on a variety of factors, and you were paid accordingly to what your cut was that Google was going to pay you, minus their fees and all that. Now what Google has announced is... They're going to allow you through the AdSense interface to create your own custom deals between you and an advertiser. They'll pay through Google Wallet, and Google will still need to approve any of the ad creatives that they serve on your site, but they will not be involved in the financial aspects of your deal and setting those terms. I'm sure that there'll be a transactional fee with using Wallet just like any other payment processor. But what is interesting is Google allowing people to dictate now their own Mm -hmm. terms and potentially eroding some of the space away from some sites that have their own custom deals, but some of these other third-party networks that allow some more flexibility and seeing how AdSense will make some headway in there. And it might be a good opportunity for us marketers to go into some of these companies and try to get our own custom deals through them because we might be able to adjust our placements or get a much better deal going directly through some of these advertisers, maybe for the lack of their own knowledge, but also just reaching out. You just never know, and it might be really worth your time. I think it's surprising it took Google this long to make this happen. I mean, I think they have a sort of standalone product, Google Ad Manager, Uh, Mm -hmm. that sort of lets you do this but doesn't facilitate any of the sort of direct ad serving and payment processing and all that sort of stuff. I'm also surprised, though, that this isn't, from the sounds of it, if it's going through Google Wallet, this isn't through AdWords itself, which to me seems kind of surprising. It would seem like they would want to list these things inside a directory. seems like it would really increase visibility for all of these people and help AdWords advertisers as well. It just seems weird that they're sort of separating a lot of that stuff out. I mean, well, maybe, maybe there's a plan Maybe this is kind to, of like the beta group. Right. You know, like they're separating it out for a reason because they don't want everyone doing it. Mm-hmm. And they kind of want to 
test their way into it and work out all the bugs first before they open the floodgates. But there also might be some political reasons why they're pushing Google Wallet. I mean, I know it's kind of struggled for a while to catch on as much as they anticipated. So part of that just might be a political decision to get more awareness out for Google Wallet and people used to using it. So, yes, yeah, so keep an eye on if you sell ad space on your website, take a look at this yeah, new you feature. Get your own custom also, deal. Yeah, get paid. Yeah, and absolutely. And if you're a marketer out there looking to get some custom deals on some, I mean, as we all are. Instead of going direct with some of these people, you can go through some of the safety of Google to afford you some of that protection while still getting some of those custom deals. So sure. I think it's I think it's cool. I, I mean, I'm definitely looking to check into it. In this yeah, we'll tweet out a link here. of yeah. their blog post that kind of outlines all the uh, information and things to consider. Absolutely. And finally, on tonight's podcast. Drum roll. Yeah, drum roll. Please, Moz.com's industry, what is it called? Industry trends, trends? or something mm-hmm. like that for 2014. I don't know how they get trends. We're only one month into 2014. <laughs> But nonetheless, they, they have do. have a ma- big magic eight ball. These, right. These are predictions. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So these are predictions from their magic eight ball. Anyway, I'm just going to run through some numbers. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. You know, like I said, we're only one month in. So how accurate can this stuff really be? But right off the bat, before I even look at the list, everyone knows that content marketing is huge, right? Why is that such a huge buzz term? I don't know. First thing I'm going to run through are the top five activities that marketers are partaking in 2014. There were 12 different categories of activities, things like social media marketing, SEO, email marketing, things like that. So the top five were from one to five. Top of the list, analytics. I was actually Hmm. kind of surprised by that, that people, I mean, maybe, again, you have to take all of this with a grain of salt. I mean, people are going to say what they think other people want to hear in a survey type thing like this. But anyway, number one was analytics. Number two, content marketing. Like I was just mentioning, that came from the bottom of the list last year to number two for uh, 2014. Number three on the list, keyword research. So despite Google removing all the keyword information from Google Analytics, we're still fighting the good fight. (laughs) We're still doing that keyword research. I'm not really sure why. No, I'm just kidding. For paid search reasons, probably. (laughs) Number four, social media marketing. I mean, that's that's been huge for a long time now. Number five, brand strategy. Oh. Sort of a uh, a weird one to just throw in there at the end of the list. Interesting to note, link building, gone from the list. Those latest Google updates. Glad to hear that because that means <laughs> my slaps. efforts are going to go well. <laughs> the slaps that Google has been laying down on everyone has scared everyone. We're not talking about link building anymore. Interestingly enough, though, link removal is at the bottom of 2014's list, which is part of what I think people should be replacing link building with. If you're not going to pay attention on link building, you need to pay attention on who is linking at you because that obviously heavily affects your SEO. Or if you've SEO. done link building in the past, you might need to be doing some link removal Yeah, right only now. 54, sorry, 54% of marketers spend zero time looking at their backlinks and doing link removal sort of requests and things like that. That's something everyone needs to be paying attention to. Please get a Google Webmaster Tools account. Please look at it's your backlinks. <laughs> There's no reason not to. Exactly. Please look at your backlinks and please do... Clean up those lists. We don't want a bunch of junk backlinks pointing at you in 2014. From that, we're going to go to the top five metrics that people are paying attention to in 2014. These are things like how much money are we making, whatever, whatever, MySpace friends. Okay, so number one on the list, Twitter followers. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Dang, got me excited. 
<laughs> number one conversions, okay. which to me shouldn't even be a category. It's like it's exactly sure. is a cop out. Number two, revenue. Give me a break. Again, I'll go through the rest on this list, but this one seems visits. kind of like a, oh, you were close. Number three, leads. Oh, okay. Which could be considered visits. I don't know. It depends or on conversions. You, you want to talk about it's it? So double exactly. dipping right there. Number four, unique visits. Number five, rankings. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't pay attention to rankings. Do you? I don't even look at that anymore. Well, I think that that's just really a complicated metric. Mm -hmm. I mean, some metrics like unique visitor have gotten complicated with multi-device world. Rankings, as we know, search engines change their results wildly depending on how much they know about you, what type of search you're doing, where you're doing the search, what even what type of day, mm -hmm. all these types of things. So what is ranking now? And I think that there's so many caveats with that metric that it doesn't really make sense to necessarily focus on that more so in just looking at your organic trends, what keywords are driving you traffic, looking more deeply into the keyword trends that might be picking up. And then again, doing your research on what might be trending from the population as well. So doing your trend research on how is the landscape in the industry that you work in changing and how you want to plot yourself in 2014 to ranking well for those terms. But ranking on a whole, I feel like that that term is kind of change too much to yeah. necessarily be something that you would track like that. So to wrap this up uh, before we close out this episode really quickly, some of the differences between the activities that in-house companies take care of outside agencies and independent people. What are some of the different things that people do? I'm only going to talk about the top three. Interestingly enough, it's pretty similar between in-house and independence. Content creation, analytics, and social media marketing are the top three things that those two groups of people do. Agencies, though, on the other hand, number one is analytics. That was similar, but keyword research, number two there, and number three is site audits, which... I don't know, that's an interesting category that they included in there. But obviously, people are outsourcing still keyword research and site audits. Site audits make sense for an outside person. You sure. want someone outside to step in and, and look at your stuff. But keyword research is, is an interesting like one. Like we talked about Google Webmaster Tools, do it. Exactly. All right, so I think that that's about it yeah. for episode number 46. Give us a call, 904-270-9603. Got a topic or potentially you're just struggling with something. The boss is yelling at you. You just don't know where to Always turn. Yelling. Give us a call. We got a lot of experience in the industry. And if we can't help you out, we know quite a few people and can put you into contact with someone that certainly can. Also, check out our website, thebeardmarketers.com. Got a lot of content coming out. We got tune-up videos. We got just regular videos exploring some topics like stock photos. We got another one coming out about common landing page mistakes. Yeah. Even potentially about one of, is your website screaming at people? And that's all I'm going to say. Keep your eyes peeled for that one. Check out the website. We've got a lot of new content coming out. Also, if you've enjoyed yourself, share us with comrades, colleagues, and leave a review on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. But that's going to be it for us on this episode number 46, and we'll see you next week.